0: that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this message. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. This morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Those of you who will be officiating, will invite you to come on up and just stand right here just to make things run as smoothly as possible. Don't delay, just come right on up. Not right now, when the message is over. (laughs) Oh, we're coming right now. And that would be okay, I guess. But as we look at God's word this morning, I want us to do so in anticipation of this time of Reflection on what the Lord has done for us. The price that he has paid by shedding his blood, giving of his life, and having his body broken in our behalf. So I want us to listen with worshipful hearts and minds. And I want us to listen with uh, an anticipation of what we're going to slide into, segue into, as we continue to worship and praise our God. Now, as we look at chapter 5, beginning of verse 15, Paul instructs us to be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Paul's concern is that we might live our lives wisely. So the big question is, what does it mean to live wisely? The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Their are proverbs that the Lord had given to Solomon to expand our understanding of wisdom. Wisdom in the scripture, different than knowledge, knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is the taking of that information and having it unfolded in our lives, demonstrated by our actions and our attitudes. Wisdom is the living out of the truths of God's word. It's imperative that we understand the truths of God's word, as difficult as those truths may be, as abstract as they may appear. Because unless we have an understanding of the truths, then we will not know how to live wisely. Because wise living is bringing into fruition the understanding, the knowledge, the truths that are embodied in the word of God. Wisdom is skill for living. That's what the word wisdom means. It means having a skill for life. And all of us who have come into this world need to acquire this skill. There are many skills that we all possess. Many skills that we would desire to possess. But few of us, I think, step back and consider that there are skills for living life. And Paul is desirous that the believers at Ephesus would live their lives skillfully, wisely. And he reflects on three areas in which wisdom ought to be reflected in our life. So take a look at this with me. First of all, he tells us, be careful then that you live your life wisely, skillfully, thoughtfully, methodically, having considered the truths of God's word. The first thing he tells us is the wise person will make use of his time in significant ways. Look what he says. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of your time. So the first thing Paul wants us to be reminded of is that all of us come into this world with a certain amount of time that is allotted to us. Scripture thinks very seriously about time. The ancient religions did not. The ancient religions simply thought of moments in a cyclical fashion. They were nature worshipers. They worshiped gods of the sun, the moon, the stars, the wind. And as time marched on, there was no real sense of going anywhere. It was simply a cyclical Uh, redoing or going over what had transpired before. There was never a sense in the ancient religions of a goal to which one must attain. But scripture and biblical revelation thinks very differently about time. We see this at the very beginning because when the world is created, it just doesn't appear, but it appears in a linear fashion. The first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day. All of those elements are elements of time as time unfolds. And therefore, time is significant to God. He is eternal. One sense it means timeless, but in another sense it means all time. And he therefore shares some time with you and I. Some of us have more time than others. But we all have some amount of time, which with we are to be wise. Scripture tells us not only do we have time, but we also have space. These are the two major commodities that you and I come into this world with time and space. And all ministry and service must be thought of in terms of time and space. For example, you and I live in the 21st century. So the kind of ministry and involvement and making the most of our time must take into consideration the day and age in which we live. We're not going to live like those who lived in the first century. We're not going to have the same goals like those who came into our nation here in the 18th century and established our nation. We are in the 21st century. That means time has somewhat changed. Culture Has changed. If we're going to make the most of our time, we're going to take note of the fact that we are in this period of time and not another. Further, we are given a particular space. You and I are not in London or in Jerusalem or in Tokyo. We're in Los Angeles. So when we think about the ministry, the service God has for us, we have to think about the time he's given to us in the 21st century and the place in which we happen to be. Paul says, make the most of your time. We ought to take inventory of what are we doing with the time allotted to us in the space in which God has given to us. There are a variety of words in scripture that speak of time. Words like, this is the last hour, time. Words like day and age. Words that embody Time, But in the Brit Tadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures, there are two very key words. One is the word chronos, which is time as it is reflected in a linear fashion, going from one moment to the next. We get the word chronology from it. It emphasizes the fact that moments follow upon previous moments. There are consequences for our decisions and for our actions in time. But this passage doesn't use the word chronos. The word here where he says make the most of your time, in my translation opportunities, it is the word kairos. And the word kairos can be translated in the sense of destiny. That's a word I've always fallen in love with since watching uh, Star Wars. And you know when the, those lightsabers cross in front of the emperor and he says, this is your destiny, you know. This is what is determined for you. Paul says, make the most of the opportune moments in your life because they do not just happen. They are planned and determined by the very grace and counsel of God, is what Paul is saying. This is the same word that is used in Galatians, where Paul says that the Messiah came into our world at the right time. Born of a virgin, born under the law. He came at that moment of destiny as God had determined it, as we see in the book of Daniel with the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Messiah didn't show up, but he came at a precise moment. You and I are here at precise moments in our lives. You were not here this morning by accident or by chance or even simply by planning to be here. You are here because God has determined for you to be here. And this is, in a sense, part of your destiny. And that is what our whole life is to be perceived as. And so Paul tells us the wise person will take note of the time that he has, that he or she has it, not by happen chance but because God has allotted it to you. The question is, what will you and I do with it? And so Paul says, make the most of your time. There are a variety of most that we can think of. But what I'd like us to think about is the necessity that our faith and the message of our faith, the good news, is going out to our community. Certainly, if we're making the most of our time, it ought to involve how we are transforming the world around us because, as Paul says, our days are evil. Paul is saying that time is like people. People left to themselves will do evil. People left to themselves will act wickedly. People left to themselves will make wrong choices. Time left to itself will not produce good things in our world. It must be seized and it must be acted upon. Just like a life must be seized and acted upon. So he says we must redeem the time. Just like individuals are to be redeemed. For the glory of God. So time must be redeemed that it would bring glory and honor to our God. And I can't think of any greater way of bringing glory and honor to our God than by causing him joy and the angels in heaven joy. And that occurs when people embrace Messiah. It says, the angels in heaven rejoice. God rejoices, for he gave his son to the world that we might find life through him. And so the greatest joy we can bring to God's heart is by leading another person into the family of God. If we're to make the most of our time, we must be thinking about how we are making known the good news to the lost around us. And thus the world, by virtue of a changed people in the world, might be changed for good. But Paul doesn't only talk about time as being critical to how we live our lives. Take a look at the second thing he mentions. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, uh, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That's the second thing Paul would tell us. A wise life takes note of the time that is allotted to them or to it. But secondly, a wise life will seek the will of God. Now, if Paul was thinking about the will of God as revealed in Scripture, I think Paul would have written this differently. Now, Paul may be overhearing what I'm saying, and he might be saying, no, I wouldn't have. But I suspect he would have said this a little differently. If he meant for us to understand by his words here, to be searching the scriptures, to understand the mind and will of God, I think he would have said something like, make sure you are studying God's word. Make sure you are immersing yourself in God's word. And certainly we should be doing that. But Paul's point here is a little different. Paul's point here is that we would know the will of God, that we would know what God is up to. It is Henry Blackerby that basically turned me on to the notion that God is already at work. We don't have to pray, Lord, would you be at work in our midst? He is already at work in our midst. That is a given. He is already at work in our world. That is a given. It is seen in the fact that he creates the world and he sustains the world. It is seen in the fact that he has made promises to individuals within the context of history, in the world, in time, and in space, such as to Abraham. It is seen in the fact that he sent his son into the world at a particular point in time and a particular place in space, Bethlehem and the land of Israel. God is at work. And he is moving the world and the pieces of the world in the direction to which he wants it to go, which will culminate in the return of our Savior and in the Messiah coming and ruling and reigning. That is where history is headed. That is the goal that the Lord has for his world that he has made. Understanding the will of God means what does God have for me at this particular time and place? Not merely with what kind of character ought we to live and manifest. He's talked about that all throughout chapter 4 and the beginning part of chapter 5. He's told us how we should behave. What kind of character and attitude we should exhibit. But his concern now is not only with that, it is with the discerning of what God is up to in our world, or I should say, in our lives and in our congregation. What is he up to here? And Paul says, The wise among us will seek to discern the Lord's working in our midst. And the wise among us would not attempt to change what he is doing, but rather to move in the direction to which he is calling and which he is leading. We would seek to do his bidding, not our own. Though our own might be very wise. Though our own might be very insightful. Though our own might be what we consider extremely important, significant, and meaningful. Not only for ourselves and for our congregation, but for the community around us. But all that must be subordinate. To our understanding what the will of God is for us. So how does one discern the will of God? And I only know of really one way in which the will of God can be discerned. And that is through prayer. And through the observation of what is going on. Not attempting to change but rather attempting to join God in what it is he is up to. So Paul says, if we're going to develop skills for living, we must consider the time that is allotted to us and make the most of it, seeking to be redemptive and bringing about reconciliation in one way or another. Secondly, he would tell us, if we're going to be wise we're going to seek what God's will is as it is unfolding to us before our very eyes and to be desirous to follow in his ways. And thus Paul speaking about the will of God then tells us that we are to be ones who are filled with the Spirit because this notion of being controlled by the Spirit Filled with the Spirit of God means that we are in tune with God and we are in tune with what God is doing. And we would be willing, therefore, to join Him in the work that He is undergoing and that He is manifesting already among us. What's really neat about this idea of the filling of the Spirit, and I spoke about this uh, last time, not last week, but the week before is really two things. I just want to repeat one of them. And that is that the filling of the Spirit ought not to be confused with the baptizing or immersion of the Spirit. They're both used with different Greek tenses and verbs. They both denote two different things oftentimes. However, among us, we confuse these two works of the Holy Spirit. By immersing us or baptizing us, as the Greek would have us understand it, It means that God places us in Messiah and thereby places us in the body of Messiah. That's what it means to be immersed by the Spirit of God. It means we are now identified. That's what baptism is about. We identify ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection. In water baptism, in spirit baptism, we are identified, identifying ourselves or being identified with Messiah himself. And thus we are now in Messiah. We are identified with Messiah. He is our holiness. He is our righteousness, Paul says in Corinthians. He is everything to us, our redemption and our salvation. How so? Because we are identified with him by the baptizing work of the Spirit of God. Not only are we identified with him and placed in his body, but we are identified with all believers everywhere and all of time. And thus we become members of his body of which he is the head. That's what the imagery is meant to convey. The significance, hard to get any further engaged with that. But it's a spiritual work, a real work that God is doing in our hearts and lives and minds. But here Paul is talking about something else. He's talking about being filled with the Spirit. It's an imperative. It's a command. Be filled. This is not an option. It's what God expects us to pursue But it's also in the present tense, which means be always continually filled. Why? Because there are times when you will not be. Very different than the baptizing work. That is a once for all moment in time with eternal consequences. The Greek verb describes that. But in the filling of the Spirit, it's an imperative that is to be continually pursued day by day. Make the most of your time, it would involve seeking the filling of the Spirit of God. Now, the book of Acts, there are 10 places where the filling of the Spirit is denoted, is described. 10. In each one of those instances, the manifestation of the filling of the Spirit, are you ready for this? Is the proclamation of the truth of God's Word. In every instance, they are empowered to present the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. You can see it in Acts chapter 2. Chapter 2, I think it's like verse 4. Where, Paul, where Peter is filled with the Spirit of God, he stands to speak and 3,000 come to faith. You can see it in chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul again, uh, Peter again is filled with the Spirit. He stands up and he proclaims the truth of God. You can see it again in Acts chapter 6, where those who are appointed as deacons, servants, leaders, are ones who are filled with the Spirit. Two of them demonstrate that filling of the Spirit. One is Philip, who presents the good news to the Samaritans. And the other is Stephen, who stands up in chapter 7, filled with the Spirit, gives testimony to the Messiah of Israel and pays with his life. You can see it in chapter 9, where Paul is filled with the Spirit and begins his ministry of proclaiming to the ends of the earth. You can see it in chapter 13, Where Barnabas, one who is an encourager, that's what his name means, son of encouragement, filled with the Spirit, and by his words brings encouragement and life to those discouraged and downtrodden. Where the Spirit of God takes hold of an individual, his word is proclaimed with power and significance, and lives around them are transformed. And changed, and that's why the disciples in the book of Acts prayed, despite the persecution, that the Lord would give them boldness so that they would be submissive to the filling work of the Spirit and willing to serve by proclaiming his truth to the ends of the earth. You and I are the results of their commitment to that. For we would not be hearing the good news today if it wasn't for those in the first century who sought the filling of God's Spirit to serve and to proclaim His truth. So we're to make the most of our time. To what degree are we seeking God's filling of His Spirit? To what degree are we then sharing the truths of His Word with others? To what degree... Are we desirous of seeking the will of God and not merely our own? But there's a third thing that's very striking in this passage, where Paul says, understand what the Lord's will is, but then get this in verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Where the filling of the Spirit is present, this third thing emerges as well. This third thing, I really don't know what to call it. But I see three things Paul is focused on. You can call these three things what you will, I just can't think of something. But the first thing is worship. Because Paul says in verse 19, speak to another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's a very strange thing here because he says, speak to one another. It seems to be like in fellowship with one another, a small group. But at the same time, he speaks about singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Music is involved. When I look at that phrase, that sentence, I think what the feeling of the Spirit is meant to produce among the things that I've shared is worshipfulness. Where we are singing to the glory of God. Now, I know for some people it's too loud in here when the music is played. I got it. I understand that. But you know, that's really not important. I mean, it's not important to drive people out. The important thing is that we're worshiping God. We're in the 21st century. We're not going to be worshiping God like they did in the 18th century. I would dare say not like even they worshiped him in 1950 in the 20th century. We're in the 21st century. And if you listen to the radio in the 21st century, which is not a big habit of mine, but I've been trying to find the radio stations around here. was a lot easier in New York and New Jersey. I thought in L.A. we'd be able to get these these stations, you know. Finally found what I like is uh, Cal State's radio station. And that's what I listen to. That's what 20-year-olds listen to, I suppose, although I'm not anywhere near 20 any longer. But the music there is very different than what I'd be used to. But that's the day and age in which we live. And the point is that we must come to worship God. And to draw our attention to him. And as he says, with spiritual songs, psalms, and hymns. But it's not only about worship that the filling of the Spirit leads us to do. But the second thing he tells us is it leads to praise Look what he says, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. I think what he's talking about is simply being praising to the Lord. That we just want to praise you, Lord. I don't even know what words to say. I just want to praise you for being our God, being our king, for saving me. And when I think back on my life, I can't believe that he would even consider himself with this speck of dust in the universe. And yet he was. So what do you do about that? All you can do is say, Lord, I praise you for that. I don't know what to say about that. The gift is too great. I was sharing with some others reading in my devotion. You Remember that moment in the day of King David when he's standing outside his camp. And King David, you know, even though he's the pinnacle of the kingly, uh, the kings of Israel, his reign was a miserable reign. Three times he was anointed as king before it took and he could be king of Israel. He spent more time on the run from Saul than he did on the throne, reigning over the nation. His own son rebels against him, forces him off the throne, and he has to run from Jerusalem into the desert. His reign was a miserable reign. There are high points, but the high points you and I think about are before he reigns. David and Goliath, he's a kid. He's not on the throne yet, the anointing of Samuel, but that's before he actually engages in the work as being a king. But there's this moment in his life where they're surrounded by the Philistines, and David is deeply depressed over what he's experiencing. And he stands out, he looks over the camp, and he starts to reflect, if only... I could have a drink of water from the well that is on the north side of the city gate of Bethlehem. When was the last time he was in Bethlehem? When he was a kid. When he was a shepherd boy. He's thinking back at how peaceful his life was then. And how much in turmoil it is now. And oh, how I wish I did not have to deal with the struggles that are surrounding me. By virtue of the Philistines and others. And so he says, if only life was like it was. And I could drink of that well once again. Two of his mighty men overhear him. And they look at each other and they kind of, let's go. And they break through the enemy lines. They head to Bethlehem. They dip into the well and they take out the water and they bring it back through the enemy lines. And they present it to David. I get chills just thinking about that. And David looks at this water and he pours it out. And he says, I can't drink this water because it's too valuable, even for the king of Israel. I mean, that's just an amazing story, isn't it? That's how important David was to those men. That's how much those men loved David. And David was expressing this Expression, I guess, of unworthiness before God and gratitude for what God has provided for him. The filling of the Spirit will result in our worshiping God, in our praising him. And the last thing he says, at having a spirit of gratitude for what he's done for us, So he says, and to give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Messiah of Israel. You and I have been plunged into this world, not by choice, but by the choices of others. We find ourselves with the time and space in which we live. We happen to be here in the 21st century, and we happen to be continuing to experience the life that he has given to us. Make the most of your time if you're going to live wisely. Making the most of your time means seeking how God would be glorified. He says, not only make the most of your time, redeeming the time because time left to itself will go awry because the days are evil due to the fall. But he tells us the wise individual will seek to understand and discern the very will of God and what he has for me, as well as what does he have for my congregation and what he has for me to do in the world the community, the family, the neighborhood in which I live. If we're going to live wisely, we're going to be ones who pursue the filling of the Spirit because only then will, be, will we be able to proclaim the truths as we should. Because only then will we have the boldness to follow Him. Because only then will we truly be worshippers of, of God in spirit and in truth as Yeshua himself tells us because only then will we be will we be ones who can adequately and appropriately give praise to God because only then will we have a thankful heart despite the challenges that befall us Because by the filling of the Spirit, we will be enabled to give thanks for everything in the name of the Father and on the basis of what Messiah has done for us. Thinking about time, one last thing comes to my mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to close with this. Forgive me if I've been a little long. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. That is one of the scariest verses in all the scripture to me. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. How do you avoid doing that? He tells us. In the time of my favor... He's quoting from Isaiah, what is that, 49 or so. In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. You could look at that passage. It's really quite remarkable because it speaks about God's empowering the Messiah to bring redemption to the people of Israel. And he will do that at the end of time. But look how Paul applies that To his readers and to us today. Therefore, Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So make the most of your time. Because now is the time of salvation. Be worshiping God. Because now is the time of salvation. Be praising and thanking him. Now is the time of salvation. Be serving him. Because now is the time of salvation. There will be a time when there will no longer be time to do it. For you and I in this life. And ultimately at the end of God's plans and purposes. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time for you to live your life skillfully and wisely. Let's pray. Father, as we think of these truths and as we prepare ourselves to receive these elements that represent the broken body of our Messiah, his shed blood, that provides cleansing for our souls. Lord, I pray that we would take these words to heart for our Lord illustrates for us the making the, the, making the most of our time. He illustrates for us the seeking of your will and not his own. He exemplifies for us what it means to worship, praise, and thank you in all things. So Lord, as we partake of these elements this morning, remind us of these truths. May they be played over and over in our hearts and minds. And may we act upon them and seek, Father, As a result, to bring glory and honor to your name. Guide us in our continued worship and in our continued praise. Guide us now, we ask, in Messiah's name. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers.